Hey Amy, it's Thursday, June 25th. I'm recording this during my lunch hour and I just took a big inhale and a big exhale because, um, yeah, I totally understand what you mean about wanting to construct the, the perfect letter um, and thank you for your last one. Um, I also wish I could include everything I've been feeling or thinking all at once, but I think I need to accept that these recordings are almost like little journal entries that capture a specific pocket of time. I guess what I'm trying to say is I love your letters, so, so please keep them coming. So, yeah, control was definitely a big part of my eating disorder as a teenager, and I tried my best at never being surprised again in my life, but obviously that's impossible. Um, trauma rarely sends you a heads up beforehand, I suppose. Um, and these days, Ryan can innocently tease me for hating surprises, and I'm totally fine with turning it into a thing we joke about, but I fucking hate surprises. Um, but I, I think it, that's also about control or fear of losing control. And um, I don't want this to sound weird, but um, I love your obsessions or fascinations that you always think and read about religion and keep returning to it, and that you always return to Flannery O'Connor's work. It's so cool that you're in this video Zoom call with other people about her work. And um, I'm happy that you mentioned the movie Short Bus. I was actually thinking about it the other day, but couldn't remember the title of the movie, so I, I could just remember certain scenes and <laughs> not being sure if I should run them through Google in case the searches would take me into a whole different X-rated world I may not have the energy for right now. So thank you for reminding me of the title, and I do remember Short Bus being pretty great and and just so refreshing and necessary when thinking about the playfulness that can and should take place when it comes to sex. So otherwise, um, it feels like three years have passed since my last letter and there's so much I wish we could just talk about. Again, I'm daydreaming about sitting at a bar with you, but instead of doing that, maybe we could just talk on the phone sometime soon. I feel like the world is moving too fast and also not fast enough. I feel like I can't respond to what has been happening the same way others have on social media, for example. I just um, feel like a complete alien sometimes. Um, like so much is happening and keeps happening that I'm just trying to catch up with all of the emotions that come along with it. And um, there's also been a lot of people who have needed me these past couple weeks. Um, just, you know, friends and family and colleagues that have uh, needed to share their thoughts and emotions about the, the murder of uh, George Floyd or about the protests or about Trump's disgusting photo op in front of a church outside of Washington, D.C. Or, or about Breonna Taylor's tragic death or violence against protesters and 
their impressions after their own participation in protest and then it's about their different work situations since you know publishing is also going through its own reckoning and you know friends are just reliving trauma or experiencing more racism because of COVID-19 or um you know, or just having their own set of struggles and feel very angry and, you know, sometimes are filled with despair or or hope. You know, I think there's immense hope between us two. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've just been trying to not fall apart because of all of that. And, uh... Yeah, I told you I was I was going to go off social media for the summer, and I did for um, for a good month or so, um, but I've been scrolling through it lately just to make sure I'm not missing out on the world completely, um, but I also just feel so out of touch with what people are posting online. Like, I get that there's super useful and interesting information and resources being shared, and there's some incredible journalism and long-form essays right now that are being published. But I'm just really exhausted by the performance and policing and kind of toxi toxicity, mostly among white people on social media. And I just don't know how to relate to the immediacy in which one should comment or feel the need to comment on everything that is happening in the world right now. And then the fact that people are being criticized for their kind of level of activism or their lack of activism or whether or not they're, they're good allies towards black people or towards people of color in general. And I, I just feel the energy is kind of poorly placed. Um, it feels like we should, you know, go at after the root of the violence and and break down certain systems so we can build new ones um but then it, but it feels like you know if you haven't posted a receipt of your donation on instagram or tweeted about it then it doesn't exist and i just i don't know i just i i don't understand it and you know, this is not to say that I don't think people should act out on their anger or whatever emotions they're feeling or do what they feel is needed to show solidarity towards black people like protesting or donating money. I guess I'm just allergic to the desire in people to showcase their good intentions, you know? It's... I guess I also just, you know, feel weird about saying all this because, I mean, you know, other people have said versions of this or say it in much more powerful or interesting or intelligent ways. Yeah, I, anyway, I'm, I'm thankful that you shared Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail. I thought, thought that was really fascinating and it's it's scary to see how far back this concept of white moderate goes and 
kind of tragic that such a description still exists, but that it's something that we still need to be aware of. Um, I think I often grapple with why I'm choosing to live in the States when this country makes it so hard to live here and um, to stay here as an immigrant. Um, I think I've been hiding under the expat role for a long time, but um, I, I want to start acting like I'm someone who is participating in the fate of a country, and preferably this one. Um, but sometimes even that is like really hard. I just feel deeply powerless sometimes um, because certain systems are just not making it easy for um, for people to change things. Um, if it's like, you know, not huge corporations that you're up against, then it's, um, then it's like navigating through this two-party system and I guess at the end of the day I also feel uh, very naive, like I've been in the U U.S. for so long and I'm, I've just been so naive, maybe even gullible. Um, so, yeah, sometimes um, I'm just gonna take a sip of water. Um, yeah, I'm pretty scared I won't be able to to live in this country forever. Um, and that's fine, it'll, it'll be fine, I'll be fine, um, if it comes to that, um, since, you know, there are certain things that are out of my control, um, but yeah, um, I'm glad you got a good audiobook experience, um, Sounds like a really great one. And, uh, I'm two hours away from finishing that big biography of Selma Lagerlöf, and Jesus Christ, I'm just dying for the book to end. I mean, it's it's really good, but a 24-hour long <laughs> audiobook is just is just really long. Um, so what else? Um, I'm watching this show called I May Destroy You um, uh, with the actress from Chewing Gum, um, Michaela Cole. Uh, she wrote and created this for, H uh, for HBO and um, it somehow manages to make me laugh but also scare the shit out of me almost always at the same time. Uh, it's, it's just incredibly well written and uh, um, I can't wait to see what she'll do next. I mean, the, the, I'm only a few episodes in, so, uh, to be continued. Um, but yeah, speaking of shows, I watched, um, Normal People, all of the episodes of Normal People, and I feel kind of dis disgusted by myself. Uh, like I was watching 
Fifty Shades of Grey, but for teenagers. Um, and I, I'm not the first to compare Rooney to Fifty Shades. Just want to put it out there. Um, but it's it's true. Um, I was, however, pretty mesmerized by the main actor's prominent nose and chin. Um, I know I've looked up his name at some point, but now I've forgotten it. So, um, did I tell you we got a basketball? Um, v and I sometimes go to the closed elementary school near us, and they have a basketball court. And while she's drawing with chalk on the concrete, I'm trying for the free throw after free throw after free throw and uh, I guess trying not to think about the future and sometimes I conduct my own Bechtel test on the court uh, we've been going there for a few days a week now for the past month or so and I think I've only seen one group like two like two women talk to each other while one of them, at least one of them, is holding a basketball. Um, and, <laughs> I, yeah, besides V and I, it's only teenage boys who are there, or older dudes, or dads. Um, I think I'm waiting for that other middle-aged mom who has found solace in shooting hoops <laughs> to arrive. Um, Maybe she also has a little toddler that's playing nearby. Um, I also watched Queen and Slim, uh, which is directed by Melina Matsukas, um, with the screenplay written by Alina Waite. And uh, um, the movie is about a black couple who decide to run away from the law after a kind of a lethal uh, encounter with a violent police officer. And they're not even a, a couple yet, they're just on a first date. Um, and it stars uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith, uh, who are both incredible. Um, it's not a, an easy movie to watch, but um, it, it really is such a great movie. The acting, the cinematography, the music, um, or like the soundtrack, um, it all feels very special and important. Um, highly recommend it if you haven't watched it yet and um, I was thinking that instead of me the, trying to describe the movie, I'm doing such a bad job at it, I wanted to read a section from a feature that um, um, a writer named Carvel Wallace wrote in the New York Times about the movie and I could easily read the whole piece to you but because um, it, it's just so great but this is my favorite section and I'm going to take a, a sip of, another sip of water before I start reading it to you. What makes this a black movie is not just that it's about black people or that it was made by black people. It is a black movie because it is first and foremost about loving black people, loving us in every way and however we are. When we are angry, when we are frightened, when we are kind, and when we are hurting. It is easy to love us when we are dead, our emotions suspended in history like a bug trapped in amber. This film loves us when we are alive, and that is a love that our country denies us, seemingly compulsively. When we are making culture or sports or funny memes, we are embraced, 
but when we are hurting or grieving, angry or frightened, we are out of line. Queen and Slim loves us simply by seeing black people in our completeness. One of the most potent aspects of the relationship between its two leads is that he never asks her to change herself. When she is prickly, when she is aggressive, when she is reticent, or, um, when she is open, when she is distant, he does not police or lecture her. He allows her anger, makes space for her hurt. Isn't that what love is? To see a person clearly, honestly, and to be willing to bend yourself toward that person. But to quote a song from uh, the Ghanaian high-life legend Ebo Taylor, love and death walk hand in hand. It is no accident that the first time the characters in this film consummate their passions, it is intercut with images of a protest where blood is spilled in their names. Black joy is fleeting, and all peace is stolen, for a time, from the ceaseless encroachment of brutality. I'm not a criminal, Slim tells Queen, when she first advises him to run. You are now, she rebutes. This is what they are living against together, a world that wants everything from black people except our truth. And so it is also an act of love to make yourself beautiful and vulnerable, enchanting and free, to steal back your soul. It's when Queen and Slim are on the run that they find that they can do anything, challenging each other to stop and dance, to ride a horse, to hang from a car, to be purely alive. Oh, stop there. Um, yeah, I've just been rereading these, those paragraphs over and over again. Um, and I've also been uh, telling friends to read this other piece that Carvel recently wrote for the Times, it's called Trying to Parent My Black Teenagers Through Protest and Pandemic. And uh, at first I thought I wouldn't read from that piece because, I mean, the whole thing is just extraordinary. Um, but I can't help it. Um, so here's more Carvel Wallace from this other piece that he just wrote. Because we are Californians, most of our important conversations happen in a car. Maybe we don't know how to talk meaningfully without the crutch of parallel glazes, gazes, a shared view on the world passing outside. I used to think we were all seeing the same thing on those rides, but my son once showed me a video he had shot from the back seat and I was startled to see myself in the rearview mirror. I looked so severe, so lost in thought, so so lost in dark thought, even as we were, in my mind, enjoying a chill Sunday drive through the empty city. I realized in that moment that I had almost no idea what my son saw when he looked at the world. My children were 13 and 11 at the time of the 2016 election, and it was in the car the morning after, that they asked me what had happened. I didn't know exactly what to tell them. I have an unfortunate need to explain everything as completely as possible, to offer them the grandest view. I worry it is too much for them, but they are stuck with the father they got. So I thought about it for a long time, as long as it took to get to the freeway and past the first two exits, 
the gas station, the temple, the curve where I once saw a car spin out late at night, barely missing me at 70 miles per hour. That night I kept driving, and another car seemed to stop to help, or at least I decided it did as I continued into the darkness, my heart still in my throat. Finally, I told my children that one of the most important questions you have to answer for yourself is this. Do I believe in loving everyone? Or do I only believe in loving myself and my people? I told them that their mother and I had each decided, at some point in our lives, that we believed in trying to love everyone. But there were some people who simply did not believe in loving everyone, and that was just the way it was. I told them that their mother and I had made our choices, but we could not decide for them what kind of people they would be. They had to decide for themselves. They were quiet. Maybe this was a pivotal moment in their young lives. I wanted to think it was. But maybe they tuned out after 30 seconds, letting their thoughts wander to things more present and graspable, like what I'd packed in their lunch boxes. That's all I got, Amy. Um, just these words by Carvel Wallace. Um, sorry to make it such a uh, emotional letter. I didn't think um, it would be this way, but um, such are the times, I guess. Um, I hope to be in better shape in my next letter. I love you, and I miss you. Take good care. Still. So.